software is eating the world. This phrase is as relevant or probably more relevant today than a decade ago when it was first coined by Mark Anderson. No wonder 8 out of 10 top publicly listed companies today are all technology companies. But what does this mean for the incumbents or the more traditional ones? Should they be threatened or use this as an opportunity? History does suggest that any form of change is the result of one of the two basic human emotions, fear or greed. And in this case, a digital transformation seems inevitable for companies and individuals to survive the massive headwinds of disruption and become future-proof. Welcome to Tech Me to the Future, our podcast about technology, innovation and their impact on society and human behavior. Please welcome your host, Mayang Sanchetti. Today I'm speaking with Jaspreet Bindra. Jaspreet is a leading expert in digital transformation, blockchain, future of work and AI and was also awarded the inaugural Digitalist of the Year by SAP and Mint in 2017. Until 2018, he was the chief digital officer of 20 billion dollar Indian conglomerate Mahindra Group of Companies. He is also an author of multiple books including The Tech Whisperer where he talks about digital transformation and the technologies that enable it. He is the founder of Digital Matters, an advisory firm in the areas of digital transformation, blockchain, and the future of work. Jaspreet, welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, Mike. It's great to be here. I look forward to our conversation. You know, I was having a hard time to actually put a concise introduction of you because there are so many things. You are an author, an entrepreneur, business leader, a digitalist, a teacher, and even a connoisseur of gin. But who is Jaspreet Bindra, according to you? i think of of the lot i prefer the gin part <laughs> <laughs> but look all i would say is that uh, i have many interests in life largely around technology and how it shapes business and more importantly society and how it has now primarily frankly become the biggest uh, uh, you know biggest uh, force that shapes the world and so uh you know i have many interests and i now i'm fortunate enough to f- to kind of follow all of them and so i'm i'm everything that you say plus a few other things probably uh though i said i would prefer the gin part of the lot makes sense i think that's the most fascinating one as well uh, at least a bizarre one uh, i do think that we have one common interest that is to understand how technology works and how it's shaping the way you and i live wrote the book the tech whisperer where you talk about digital transformation and the technologies that enable it what were the motivations behind the book okay thanks uh, one of the things i should have mentioned in your last question actually was that what fascinates me about technology and this is relevant to your current question too is not as much the technology itself but the philosophy behind it uh, so if it's blockchain far more interesting is the philosophy behind blockchain and as you know pretty much like mathematics technology also at its highest level also touches philosophy and that's been that's perhaps my latest passion in a sense and i'm devoting a lot of time to that and then to 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 some extent uh, mike the book also came out of that fascination you know i've always been writing i write a couple of columns uh, one of my long standing column is in the mint business newspaper in india and i've been writing for a bunch of others and people used to tell me that i write well so uh, therefore i should write a book uh that was another reason and frankly i was lucky a bunch of publishers saw my writings i, I guess would follow my writings and 
they came to me and Penguin was the most persuasive. Uh, and so that was another reason. The biggest, uh, however, was trying to explain technology to people who were almost afraid of it. You know, it's like mathematics again. You know, you kind of, mathematics is actually very beautiful. It's very simple mm-hmm. uh, at its core, but people are afraid of it and they try to approach it in a very um, pedantic kind of way. And the same thing with technology. <laughs> I was planning to write a book for a while and then I signed a contract with Penguin. I still sat on it until one day I literally dreamt up the title. I woke up in the morning with the title in my head. I couldn't sleep for half the night called The Tech Whisperer. And I just loved the title because, you know, if you know the horse whisperer, the dog whisperers, these are all people who talk to horses, dogs in their own language and make them understand and, you know. And so I said, look, before anyone else writes, gets this title, I need to have that. And, and that was the final push in that sense to make the book happen. I definitely would recommend my listeners to read this book. I'll keep the title of this book in the notes as well. Uh, it's very stunning to me that how the different sectors of the world is changing around us. You know, you yourself worked for traditional companies such as Tata Group and Mahindra Group, although it would be naive of me to put such conglomerates in one bucket of traditional companies. You also worked for Microsoft, which is a digital native company. What were the key differences in terms of culture and the approach to businesses that these companies thrive on and the couple of learnings that one can take from the other? All of these three companies that you mentioned, the Tata Group, Mahindra Group, Microsoft, are actually great companies or great groups. And as we know, they are very successful. They dominate a large part uh, uh, of the industries that they are in. And they have been, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, they have been examples for a bunch of uh, uh, other companies. Uh, but yes, they're different. And look, to be very honest, I think each company is different. It has nothing to do with an Indian company or a multinational or a Australian company or a Singapore company. Each company actually is different. Pretty much like a country, each company has its own culture, because which is born out of history and born out of its leadership, and then obviously born out of the people that inhabit it. And so, like each country is unique, each company is unique. Having said that, yes, uh, when if you look at it through a transformation or a technology lens, uh, there is clearly a difference between you know digital natives or technology-based companies as well as or non-technology companies. Uh, and until now, it didn't really matter. It was okay. I mean, if you were a car company, it was fine if you were a car company. Or if you were a, a, a tea coffee company, it was fine. If you were or a hotel company, it was fine if you were a hotel company. What is happening now in the world, though, is that for any company to be successful going forward, at the core, they will all need to become technology companies. And so that gap has to narrow down. You know, pretty much like we would be confused if we were to call Amazon a retail company or a technology company. You know, most people would realize that it's a technology company doing retail rather than retail company doing technology. Grab or Uber are technology companies doing transportation rather than the reverse. Airbnb is a technology company doing uh, hospitality, not a hospitality company doing technology. Absolutely. Uh, And so they need to all become this tech at core. And that's where the greatest uh, 
division lies in a sense. Technology companies might just tend to work, smell, sit, behave in a much very different way. The culture is far more experimentative, far more, uh, you know, it, it, it tolerates failure much better. Uh, it's far more agile. Uh, it's obviously much more informal. It is it's it just, just two different worlds in a sense. And part of my job, especially in the Mahindra group, was to try and bring this culture in by acting that, by getting in people like that, by you know, trying to make the current people like that. So I think the biggest issue is this, this big culture difference. It's the biggest learning. The technology companies also need to learn a lot from the uh, more traditional companies, especially the longevity. I mean, if you look at the data group, the Mahindra group, they've been there 50 years, 100 years. Very few technology companies can, perhaps with the exception of IBM, can claim that. And I think just the longevity, which is based on a set of very strong values, uh, is, I think, what the technology companies need to learn from the traditional companies. Uh, and it's the values which builds the builds the foundation. And I think not many technology companies have yet learned that. I would like to dig a, a little deeper on what the tradition, traditional companies can learn from these tech giants. And, you know, a couple of cultural traits that you mentioned, such as the informal culture and more power to the individuals. I think at some level, these are symptoms, not the core tenets behind the entire culture. And also when we talk about digital transformation, for many of the people out there, this digital transformation or moving into being a tech company is synonymous to just getting online. Or for some others, it is basically automation of internal processes. So what is your take on digital transformation and how should businesses and specifically traditional companies and organizations should look at it? At the outset, digital transformation you know, became a buzzword. It still is. And everyone is transforming digitally, but everyone is doing it in a different way. And there are very few people who understand really what the crux of it is. And so the first thing, you know, a lot of people tend to confuse it with digitization. You know, as you said, and but digitization and digital transformation are different things. Both are super important, super important, but they are different things. Digitization is inside out. You know, take a process, use digital tools to make it faster, cheaper, more efficient, and so it's inside out. It's linear. It's more predictable. It's a lot about efficiency. It's much more left brain. Digital transformation comes from the other side. It is something has changed in the customer and therefore you need to change your business to meet the new customer or the new customer needs uh, and to transform your business. And so it's outside in, it's about customer value proposition. It's far more right brain, it's more creative, it is less predictable, it's leaps of faith in many ways. I mean, if you, again, you work with Grab, I mean, if you were to take a radio taxi operator and digitize it using digital tools, you just make it run faster, cheaper, better. But if you were to make it like a Grab or an Ola or an Uber, change the business model, you know, you're digitally transforming that, that operator. So that's, so they're different and both are important and both sometimes need to be done simultaneously in companies. Number two uh, is uh, digital transformation is not about a website. I mean, a uh, lot of people, you're right. 10 years back, you used to think it's about creating great websites. Five years back, they used to think it was about creating apps. Uh, now they think it's about bots. <laughs> it, the, Sometime later, it will be about, you know, uh, conversational AI, okay, uh, uh, Alexa, et cetera. Uh, but it's not that. And, you know, the, everyone 
defines it differently. I have a particular model, which uh, I call the, the Holy Trinity of Digital Transformation, which you might have read in the book, the Hindu Holy Trinity, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Brahma being business models, Vishnu being customer experience, and Shiva being the most powerful God of all, uh, the destroyer, uh, people and culture. It's really these three things which make a tech company different. The business models are very different, very tech-enabled, extremely tech-enabled. Mm-hmm. Customer experience, there is no difference between online and offline. It's all one seamless customer journey, which the legacy companies don't get. And then finally, obviously, is the culture. And I can speak for many hours on that. Sure. Uh, maybe I would like to touch upon one, the last part of the culture. You know, even Tata is renowned to have a great culture in its own. How do you think that the culture of a digital company is different from, you know, the traditional companies? Yes. So look, as I said, all of them have great cultures. They have great values, uh, which on which mostly, uh, and they've had great leaders. So, you know, I tend to define culture in three components, values, leaders, and then the people, the employees themselves. And all of them are great. But a tech company culture is different. And, you know, the best way for me to talk about that rather than giving some theoretical framework is to just give two or three examples. For example, number one, just teams. The power of the leader is by the size of the team he or she has, you know, along with the revenue he or she holds, but the size of the team, you know, I have hundred percent, I have a 500 percent team. I have a 10,000 percent team spread across the world. Tech companies thrive on small teams. Okay, and it's not really the size of the team. And so, so for example, if there's a product to be built or a problem to be solved, a, a legacy company will kind of throw 20 people at that problem or 100 people at that problem. And they'll hire those 100 people at market rates. Let me just put it that way. Uh, a tech company would be far more comfortable throwing four people at that problem, super excellent people hired at 5x the market rate or 3x the market rate. That's one way to think. The other way, which is more important, actually, is this whole agile versus waterfall way of working. And, you know, we think that agile and waterfall is only limited to uh, building software. Okay, that's not true. I think agile and waterfall is, and as you know, the whole agile uh, methodology is gone into organizations and organization structures. And this concept of doing multiple things together. Uh, creating products which are not perfect, but which are minimum viable products. Uh, you know, trying to solve a problem by creating, building five different things, knowing that maybe four of them will fail and one of them will not. And so this simultaneous agile way of working is very alien to uh, to large companies. because, And the reason for that is because they fear failure. Mm. And so if four out of five things fail, it means you have 80% failed. Okay, and, and mm. 20% succeeded, and and uh, uh, that's a that's a huge problem. And so that's the other big massive difference. And then third and final, I would say is uh, culture is also very symbolic, man. It's about it's not you know it's it's about how you sit, whether you're sitting in open plans or in large cabins. It's about how you dress. I mean, if you're if, if your managing director dresses in suits, everyone is going to dress in suits or at least the senior management is. Okay, and that also, and so just, uh, you know, there are executive lifts in many legacy companies and non-executive lifts. Okay, it still exists. The, these and, these terms are alien to me. Exactly. For sure. so, uh, exactly, and they should be. Uh, and I mean, I've seen this in many places. And so 
even these symbols okay are are super important and that's why a tech company looks different from a non tech company because these symbols do not exist okay and they're far more egalitarian right now i i really believe that you know when it comes to culture it's uh, really top down and the leadership has to create that vision not just create that vision but also drive that vision by being an example you know you've also written in your book the first commandment of digital transformation is that leadership vision and commitment is the key how do you expect the leadership to build the muscle required to chart the vision of digital transformation yeah it's very tough uh, extremely tough uh, thing to do first of all i completely agree that culture flows top down okay and people don't realize that they think like most things it goes bottom up most things go bottom up but culture flows top down okay and so it's super critical as to how the leader of the company and the set of leaders working with her or him behave and you know if it doesn't happen that way i mean if you think of one of the most celebrated cultures of our time which is netflix okay uh, it basically read hastings and the chro of his time whose name i've forgotten both of them built that okay so it flows top down now how you know again let me give you a few examples mahindra group it's probably the most forward thinking i believe uh, of the indian conglomerates in terms of technology not the only reason but perhaps the largest reason is anand mahindra himself i mean he is probably the most celebrated businessman on twitter across the globe not only in india i don't think any other business leader has as many followers as he has Mm-hmm. and it was as engaged and not only followers engagement okay engaged followers now you would say that twitter is not a digital transformation and it isn't okay but just the fact that a business leader has embraced a new technology okay and he learns a lot through twitter he's changed therefore you know and seen how the how the technology world behaves and he takes his leaders every year to uh places in the US etc to make them aware listen to people you know and and so so that's how he's trying to drive it top down and you know a lot of it is working okay the second example is you know which i talk about in my book also is this is this english company called burberry the luxury retailer and they underwent a, one of the most successful digital transformations and and primarily it was driven by the new ceo uh, injala arend who came in and basically one of the first things she said was and this is long time back so you have to forget forgive these words she said that we are not a luxury company we are a digital media company okay I now see. media might sound very weird right now but at that time was state of the art okay and uh, and she and her chief creative officer spent 9 years nine years transforming that company to become far more digital far more youth friendly burberry is the most youth friendly luxury retailer they went into china the biggest market in a almost purely digital first way uh, and it took nine years it took the same ceo to be doing that lots of patience and and finally it also had a huge impact on the bottom line this was not only about making it digital it was about you know it was about revenues and growth and profitability also but it was entirely driven and there's bunch of ways i've detailed that in my book as to how they did that in each aspect uh, how they used it and how they used uh, video and media and technology 
but behind that was that single thing that we are completely changing ourselves and it was leader driven Uh, so that's the other example you know while you were talking about giving these examples one of the things that struck me is that it's not a one year or a quarterly project that a company needs to pick up and deliver especially in this world of instant gratification it becomes very difficult for someone to imagine with that patience and consistency execute in a vision that the person believes that would work in long term Do you think there are uh, ways to assess whether a company's digital strategy is working or not? Uh, are there any key milestones or metrics to keep an eye on and maybe learn as a feedback loop? Okay, now that's a good question. Uh, Mine can you know my you refer to the first of my digital commandments. Let me straight away fast forward to the tenth. Okay, which says that uh, uh, genius is eternal patience. Basically, what I meant was that without patience, you can't make it happen. I mean, I gave the nine-year example in Burberry, and that's the amount of time it takes—that kind of time, minimum five years. You know, a lot of people ask me this: okay, the problem with digital transformation is that how do we even know whether we are successful or not? And my simple answer is: if you are alive, you are successful. Okay, and so this is not about ten percent increase in revenue or seventeen percent increase in a bit or whatever, which mm-hmm. will happen along the way. Okay, but how do we know that the changes are sustainable? not well, in the short term in the long term as well so so the, so that's where the other other bit so the second bit is so two two things let me just say here one is that you know when you're kind of trying to transform your company you don't use traditional metrics hmm. okay i mean trans uh, growth growth and transformation are different things okay and so transformation might might mean that you would end up to be a totally different company than where you started okay and so what i tell people is that whenever you're looking at transformation don't have these three year plans five year plans with these metrics and saying that whether you know you're tracking or not have a six month plan and a 10 year plan two of them the 10 year plan is actually your vision mm. what do you want to become okay you need to know what you want to become like uh, like uh, burberry did or others do okay but don't track do a 10 year plan towards that okay so just do a six months that is the first step of that is this and i'll do it in six months and that six month is the milestone okay which if it's successful you plan the next six and then the next six and because the world is changing so fast is so chaotic covid happens technology is changing like crazy you know you'll be extremely foolish if you make five year plans of business transformation and try and do metrics hmm. to track that the second part is the the agile mvp approach okay and so the way to make change happen is to not make it wholesale right up front okay you got to kind of capture it through a smaller prototype mvp kind of approach and if that is successful one out of the five that you do are successful then you scale that up to the next level and then to the next level frankly unfortunately your digital transformation is never done mike okay it's a cycle it's not linear it's circular much like the eastern concept of time and by the time burberry uh, finished its 9 uh, year of changing its company now they are on the second cycle okay because the world changed again and the world will change again okay and so it just keeps on happening uh, uh, it never ends you you can cannot have a start point and an end point to uh, something like this unfortunately yeah i think you rightly mentioned that it's still a very chaotic time and there's probably a lot of learnings that's happening on the fly organizations and individuals are still figuring out ways to become more resilient not just from this pandemic but uh, from the future ones as well while we are trying to get the entire world vaccinated gradually and eventually 
if we consider this covid as a vaccine in itself to make an organization or an individual future proof what advice do you have for them to become more resilient and become more future proof so that's my second book it's not a book it's a short read i mean it got published as an ebook called the immune organization and basically exactly what you said the the premise behind that was that look while we are figuring out the vaccine for covid and how it gets done think of covid as a vaccine itself okay and build the antibodies which is what a vaccine does to uh, to kind of have these antibodies ready when the next disruption strikes okay and those therefore what are these antibodies and i've kind of listed about nine of them okay in my second little book okay but again we probably don't have the time to go through the nine but let me just talk about three things within that so first of all is that is decentralization by the way a lot of people talk about covid as the black swan event i don't think so black swans are unpredictable and disruptive this one was entirely predictable the black swan however has been the lockdowns associated with it those were unpredictable and the disruption has been caused by the lockdowns not by the by the disease mm. okay uh, and so and a lockdown can be caused by anything it's not only covid could be caused by war could be caused by something else a earthquake and so the lockdown is the real event okay which you need to kind of uh, uh, you know which has changed everything and so what has it done three things decentralization companies which could decentralize survived so what is work from home it's decentralized work okay uh, retail many retailers decentralized they became e-commerce besides the thing pick from store you know click and collect stuff like that is decentralized retail a uh, decentralized hospitality small airbnbs would be you know people would be far more comfortable than large hotels education decentralized as we all know okay uh, healthcare decentralized and so how can and decentralized systems as we know in software are far more resilient than centralized systems and uh, that's the first big lesson and decentralization and all of these decentralization examples i gave are technology and you know the second bit is that digital companies companies which were 100% digitals like say netflix or zoom or you know the ott companies boomed they were anti fragile companies which are purely physical died now every company can't become 100% digital okay but become as digital as possible and that's a business model thing make your business model as digital as possible and everywhere there's scope okay to go mm-hmm. a certain way and then finally third is the mindset change i think covid has been a massive mindset change people who never ever would allow a comp- employee to go home but till 6 pm forget working from home okay uh, uh you know uh, i have suddenly realized that actually it works okay it's fine and so you know just that bit of mindset changes kind of opened up people to other mindset changes i think these are the three big ones which will carry on forward and hopefully the companies which kind of make that as digital as possible decentralized and make that mindset change will be the ones which would survive the next disruption the others would die interesting let's talk a little bit about the types of companies that you think would survive in the future and you talked about decentralization but we have seen more centralization of power in the hands of this big tech giants how do you think that the small entrepreneurs small businessmen can survive being in a decentralized manner once this pandemic is past us yeah that's the paradox here um that's a paradox which i have not been able to wrap my head around frankly okay i completely agree that 
it's been terrible. The worst thing which has happened out of this pandemic is this further inequality. Okay, uh, and then, you know, the so-called K-shaped recovery, right, where the big guys are kind of grew, growing and the smaller guys have kind of even gone further down. Not only companies, but even it's made the country division also very stark. It's made the rich versus poor division extremely stark. You know, the whole migrant thing versus the people who are at home. You know, work from home is good for people like you and me, but most people don't have a home to work from. Okay, and even if they do, it's kind of too small. So this digital divide has become even bigger. And now there's going to be a vaccine divide. You know, richer countries have like 5x their population of vaccine and poorer countries don't have any. So the worst thing which has come out of this pandemic, frankly, is this this fact that the powerful have become even more powerful. What has also come about, funnily, simultaneously, paradoxically, is that people or companies or countries which have decentralized have survived better. Okay, and so much like our world today, which you know paradoxes exist, I think this paradox will also continue. So I think, I mean, look, it is a Darwinian moment. Many smaller people will die. It is a Darwinian moment. Okay, so the, the more adaptable will survive and the rest will die, unfortunately. And so it is a function of how fast you can adapt. And Technology is a great tool to make you make yourself adaptable. You know, uh, with all the examples that I gave a little earlier. In fact, I call this the COVID paradox in my second book again. It starts with that by saying that COVID has slowed down the world but accelerated change. And so, people who can change in an accelerated manner, frankly, will survive. Anyway, I'll stop here before I get even more pessimistic. <laughs> No, I agree that hope is never a strategy, but I think optimism is something that keeps us going. Overall, I'm definitely excited about the transformation that we're going to see uh, in a very interesting time that we live in, which is being enabled by the different technologies that we have at our disposal and a bunch of new technologies that we would soon get to see. Jaspreet, it was great talking to you and having you on the show. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Uh, good talking to you too. And have a good day. To my listeners, I'm glad that you made it until the end and I hope you enjoyed listening to the episode. I'll be publishing one episode every two weeks, at least for now, which means that you'll have one new episode every alternate week, mostly on Wednesdays. Of course, till the time guests are willing to come on the show and talk to me and I have few listeners, however modest in number. So, Please subscribe and follow the show on whichever podcasting platform you use to get notified about all the new episodes. Cheers and a very happy new year.